The text for the message this morning is Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 28. And we'll read that together. If you're in the building here this morning, you can find Exodus 12, page 53, Pew Bible. You remember from the context that Moses announced a final plague was coming and left Pharaoh's presence. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Exodus 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. 
In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in the very beginning, when the Lord created the heavens and the earth, He created time with a seven-day cycle centered around a hallowed day of rest. These themes of new beginnings and a seven-day cycle return in our text. The Lord told Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt that although they may have counted their days differently before, the month of their deliverance from slavery was now to become the first month of the year for the people of God. The feast in the first month began with a hallowed day of rest, with a holy assembly, and ended seven days later with another holy assembly. So God revealed that when we walk with Him, the redemption and rest that He graciously provides for us can characterize our entire lives as it characterizes our entire weeks and years. To ensure that the people understood the significance of their deliverance from Egypt, God also gave them instructions concerning the memorial pilgrim feasts of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread that would contain important signs that reveal the character and the work of our God throughout all the ages. And the basic message of these two feasts is clear even for the children, as you could see at the end, they had a message for the children who would ask. The children could also see that God promises that his punishment will pass over the homes of all who put their trust in him and who are seeking to remove all the leaven of sin from their lives as they travel with God to glory. When we get to the New Testament... We can learn that Christ fulfills the feasts of the Passover and unleavened bread. 1 Corinthians 5 verses 6 to 8 explains how the New Testament Christian church must read and understand all that the Lord revealed in Exodus 12 verses 1 to 28. In fact, in response to the Lord's command to keep the feast of the Lord throughout your generations, 
as a statute forever, like he said in Exodus 12, verse 14. The Holy Spirit tells the New Testament church that we too ought to celebrate the festival. It's in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 8. And our Lord Jesus taught us that we can do this through the new feast of Lord's Supper that he instituted on the night when he was betrayed in the fulfillment of the Passover. At the same time, Paul's instruction to the Corinthians shows us that this fellowship with Christ, symbolized and sealed by that well-known sacrament, will also have major consequences for every other part of our lives. Not just when we're celebrating the sacrament, but throughout our, our days, at every moment of our lives, His Holy Spirit is leading God's children to trust in Him alone, to turn to Him for forgiveness and deliverance, and to fight against that malice and evil that so often arise in our lives. And I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme, the hasty Passover meal inside the door marked with blood is a sign for all believers. We celebrate by trusting in the blood of Christ, our Passover lamb, and traveling with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. If you turn to Exodus 12 again, you'll see that in verses 27b and 28, we read some of the happiest words of Scripture that the people, after receiving all those instructions from the Lord, that they were to eat this special meal, their last evening in Egypt, the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And then they went and they did exactly as the Lord said. The celebration was to be under the supervision of the elders. And we read in verse 3 that it was to be celebrated by all the congregation, family by family, clan by clan. And so we read the elders of the people, the elders of the clan, so you can think here of, of the grandparents, they selected a sufficient number of one-year-old unblemished male lambs or kids that children or, or the uh, baby goats so that every household gathered together would have enough to eat and there would be little to nothing left over to burn the next day. Well, these regulations right away show us the Lord's emphasis on the themes of family worship and his desire to fully satisfy his people to nurture us when we're faced the journey of life in our battle against sin. The Lord always fully equips his people for the difficult things that he calls us to face. And although the Lord does not tell us why the animals had to be selected on the tenth day, nor do we know if this could be followed on that first Passover meal in Egypt, that four-day period would have given the people more time to select the animal, but also to understand the value of the sacrifice that they were offering. The fact that there were enough lambs and baby goats for so many people, and the fact that we can read that everybody had these homes with, with doors on their homes, that indicates that even though they were enslaved, the people did have sufficient food and shelter. 
And if a person only cared about their daily food, and if they weren't too concerned about being prevented from worshiping the Lord, the life of slavery that they had grown accustomed to appears to have been subtle enough that it may not have been easy to convince everyone to leave to worship God, if it also now meant living in tents as foragers in the wilderness. And we know later reading how the people were thinking back on Egypt with longing. Remember the cucumbers? Remember the melons? They, they had their daily food. One wonders if the plague had not destroyed the land, would it have been so easy to gather everyone together? But we know it is a sign of God's grace that we read the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel came to kill their lambs at twilight. It's a broad term, that word twilight's a broad term that allowed for the sacrifice to take place any time from when the sun began to set in the afternoon to when it finally disappeared in the evening. The command to roast the lamb or the kid whole with its head, legs, and inner parts ensured that no bones of the sacrifice were broken and that the meal could be prepared and consumed more quickly. This need to leave in a hurry, another major theme revealed in the regulations of the Passover, that also explains why the bread needed to be unleavened. It takes time to wait for bread to rise. Chapter 12, verse 10, has the command to burn the leftovers. And that reminded the people that this hasty meal on their way out of Egypt was a one-time event and that the bitterness of slavery that was symbolized in the bitter herbs that accompanied the meal, that bitterness had come to an end. And since all this took place on the eve of the destruction of all the firstborn of Egypt, while the weight of God's anger and judgment was pressing down upon the country, it was very clear to see that Passover was a celebration of God's deliverance from the judgment that sinners deserve. Moses highlighted the urgency of the situation in verse 22 when he explained that the, the people were to stay inside their houses until the morning. This was a lockdown that would save their lives. And it was a matter of life and death to respond to the Lord's commands in faith. The Passover also taught the people about their personal responsibility in God's saving work. The importance of their faith in accepting the redemption that God had promised to them that he obtains for us. They had to demonstrate their faith by their actions of selecting, slaughtering, painting the entrances of their homes with the blood of the sacrificed animal before eating all their meal and eating sufficiently and then traveling away quickly. When God decided whose firstborn animals and children would be slaughtered and whose would be passed over, he would not be paying attention to race or to gender or to age, but only to the blood that had been collected in the basins and put on the doors. And so we see that painting the doors with the blood 
was like a, a public profession of faith. And the people would learn that when they put their trust in the Lord and declared their trust in the Lord openly, He Himself would make atonement that was necessary for their salvation. The Scriptures make it clear that the animals sacrificed in the Old Testament as substitutes for the sinners who deserve God's wrath, those sacrifices only brought effective salvation because of the promises of God who established the possibility of using this animal blood in anticipation of the coming of His Son, Jesus Christ, who would die on a cross. Since God is holy and the people were sinful, He couldn't just pass over them without there being any atonement for their sins. And as the people were there, and you can see them, imagine them there in in Egypt slaughtering their animals and, and, and seeing the blood being poured out and then painting it on their doors, they would know very well what it took to satisfy God's justice. And they could have a foretaste of the atoning work of Jesus Christ who offered his own body as a sacrifice on the cross for our sins, the gospel that we celebrate today. And that's why the Lord says in chapter 12, verse 13, that the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses, in the houses where you are. Not a sign for God, so he knew which house to pass over, but a sign for the people of God so that they might understand that how the Lord would save them by grace through His Son, Jesus Christ, when they put their trust in Him. The Passover that the Lord instituted for the night before the exodus from Egypt revealed the Lord Jesus Christ and His work to the church of all ages. John the Baptist later, when he saw the Lord Jesus coming, he compared the Lord Jesus to the Lamb, of the Passover celebration. And that comparison is strengthened when we learn from the Gospels that the Lord Jesus himself was innocent and sinless in all his life. He was a lamb without blemish. And even when he died, just like the lamb of the Passover celebration, none of his bones were broken. The Lord Jesus himself reveals the connection between his work and the Passover when he partook of that last supper, the Passover, with his disciples, and he announced that his body would be given for us. And the beautiful thing was that instead of a lamb or a young goat, our Lord Jesus offered himself as a human being, a true substitute, a son of Adam, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he serves as a perfect substitute for everyone who believes in him. Dedicating himself completely to this one task, he offered himself as a whole burnt offering, nothing left over for the morning, to fulfill all righteousness. He who had no sin became a sin offering for us, so that God would never need to punish the sins of those who believe in Him. That's why we call Jesus Christ our Passover sacrifice. And when we trust 
in his sacrifice, when we believe that Jesus Christ is our substitute, when we receive his body and blood offered in our place by eating and drinking of the wine of Lord's Supper, we are participating in God's grace with the same faith and trust as the Israelites who put the, the blood of the lamb or the young goat on their door frames. And the good news is that this faith and this trust in God is effective. For the Lord does save and he does deliver all who trust in him. The same God who showed such grace to the Israelites in their time of slavery in Egypt is also the God who reaches down to us in his grace to, to set us free from the slavery to sin. And he does this even though we have nothing to offer to him, purely out of grace. He accepts the sacrifice of the Lamb of God that was sent into the world. And he spares us from the judgment our sins deserve by passing over everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. And that distinction in our text pointed forward to the fulfillment in Jesus Christ when God would form his church and as he is gathering and defending his church from everyone who receives the blood of Christ as their own. And he sees that faith without considering age or race or gender. Speaking together in one voice with the people of God in the Old Testament and now the church in, in the New Testament, we too say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Worthy the Lamb for sinners slain, we sing. In Christ, our Passover Lamb, we may celebrate our salvation from eternal damnation and a new life of pilgrimage through the desert on our way to the promised land. And we celebrate by traveling with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. If you look closely at our text, you can see the, the second feast is embedded right inside the same description. The Passover meal described in the first 13 verses of Exodus 12 is closely related to another feast that the Lord calls the Feast of Unleavened Bread in verse 17. And it's important to notice that God instituted the two feasts in such a way that they would overlap. The first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the evening of the 14th day of the first month, is also the Feast of Passover, at which the people were required to eat unleavened bread. And the connection there makes it very clear that, the, that God's work and promise celebrated at the Feast of Unleavened Bread is closely related to and based on God's work and promise that was celebrated at the Passover. To put it another way, we could say that the people could only commemorate the hasty departure from Egypt's slavery in the Feast of Unleavened Bread if they had first commemorated the night that God struck down Egypt's firstborn and passed over the people of Israel in the Passover. It's important to remember then that the salvation given to us by God's grace 
comes before sanctification and that fight against daily sins of weaknesses so that we never conclude that our salvation is dependent on our own works. We are saved by grace alone. Well, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is different from the Passover because its focus is on what happens after God in His grace decides to pass over us with His punishment. What does it look like for those who have been delivered from death under God's anger because of the blood of the Lamb and are are now being led into the wilderness? The description of the Feast of Unleavened Bread brings to light several characteristics or marks of Christian living that we continue to pay attention to in our lives. The first thing we notice is that this feast is centered around the active involvement of the believer in putting off and fleeing from sin and its consequences. Since the different materials used to leaven bread like yeast and sourdough are bacterial that change the nature of dough, there was an understanding that leaven or yeast was an impurity as comparable to to sin. And although God didn't forbid the use of leaven on ordinary occasions, on days when there needed to be sober thought about sins, he required the people to remove leaven or yeast from their homes. And that removing of yeast became symbolic of searching out and removing sin in our lives. And it was even part of the the Jewish tradition of the celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread that the family members would hide pieces of leavened bread in the different rooms of the home and the head of the household would go through the house and and find it and, and get rid of it. A very clear picture of getting rid of sin in all the different rooms in our houses to clear ourselves, to be pure before the Lord. The Lord is clear that the people He redeemed must examine our hearts, must examine our lives, must identify and fight against the daily sins of weakness that hinder our relationship to God. And you could see how important this is to us also as we read the Ten Commandments every Sunday again and think about that. The second thing that is highlighted in this feast is that there were very serious consequences for anyone who refused to obey the Lord's instructions and who were unwilling to give up the the comforts of leavened bread in their lives, the, the comforts of sin. The Lord said that anyone who eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day shall be cut off from the people. That's Exodus 12, verse 15. And then we see that this, just, this isn't just a question about being a citizen of, the country, of a country on earth. But the Lord was talking about being cut off from the kingdom of God. You see, the warning in this to, 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 until today, when we love our sins more than we love God, when we refuse to submit to His will, to receive His grace with sincerity and truth, There is no place for us in the kingdom of God. He says, you'll be cut off. The third thing revealed in the Feast of Unleavened Bread was that this renouncing of sin, this departure, it must be done with with an eagerness, with an eager focus, and even haste. 
reminding the people of God of, of that first Passover when they ate with their cloaks tucked in and sandals on their feet and the staff in the hand all ready for travel, eating the unleavened bread throughout the feast reminded the people of the kind of haste with which, with which they should be fighting against idolatry and sin in their lives. The Lord doesn't say, well, it's okay to leave that to another day. It's a calling to, to a fight against our sin today with an urgency and an eagerness and a haste. And so when we murmur about God's command to live a holy life, we are showing disdain for the new life that we have with Him. The call to follow God, it comes with a sense of urgency, a sense of today, and a willingness and haste to leave sinful things behind. And finally, the feast points God's people to the fact that we are to be constantly fleeing from sin and slavery to the evil one. There were other feasts to commemorate this time, the time they spent in the wilderness. The Feast of Tabernacles was about how life was like in the wilderness. But this feast was focused on the exodus itself, on, on the leaving, on the turning away from slavery, and the turning toward God who said he would meet them for worship on Mount Sinai. Made to last for a long time without rotting or growing moldy, unleavened bread is a traveler's bread and would remind the people of God that they had not yet arrived at their final destination. They had to leave in a constant departing. They were uh, pilgrims on their way to glory with God. Believers in Jesus Christ show that they believe that God has delivered us from the Egypt of sin by eagerly and hastily making the first steps away from the temporary comforts and so-called pleasures that are offered to us by the evil one. To follow Christ is to make a separation from those who are living in enmity with God. And Paul then urges the church that it is not good to boast about their openness to welcome the, even the most rebellious sinner in their midst. What does he say in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. To continue to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread means to remove the leaven, the yeast of malice and evil from our own hearts and our own lives. So that we may return again to the people that God has made us to be, that unleavened people, that bread who exists in the holiness of Jesus Christ. We are made to be, to live in sincerity and truth, as we read in 1 Corinthians 5. And so as the Israelites were distinguished by their willingness to leave Egypt with haste in order to worship the Lord on His holy mountain, we too are called to be eager to be among those who, says John, do not love the world or anything in the world. To turn our backs on the illusions of comforts offered by the devil 
and to fight against the sinful desires that continue to permeate our hearts like leaven in the dough. The pilgrim feast continues for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And we are fellow travelers on the course that is set out before us, like we see in our family theme visit, or, or family visit theme, Hebrews 12. And so our prayer is that our lives may be characterized by the sincerity and the truth that the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of all who believe in Jesus Christ and are forgiven in his blood. The Lord established the final month of slavery in Egypt as the first month of the year for his people. It was a new beginning for their lives. Now they were God's redeemed children, children who had been rescued from the judgment of God by God's grace through the blood of the lamb or the goat. Well, this deliverance of God continues to distinguish the church from the rest of the world. For we begin each week with that celebration of the victory of Jesus Christ, our Savior over the grave, over death, over sin. His blood shed on the cross was sufficient to pay for the sins of the whole world and efficient to redeem everyone who believes that He is the Son of God, our Savior, the one true eternal God. And when we profess our faith publicly in corporate worship through, through special ceremonies or through the creeds, it's like putting Christ's blood as the banner that defines who we are. The blood that tells people during the week we will be fighting against the sins in our lives as we put our trust in Jesus Christ. We declare that we are unworthy sinners who receive God's grace in trust and in faith. And with this profession of faith, we also renounce the ungodly leaven in our lives. We commit ourselves to rooting out and, and, and fleeing all the leaven of malice and deceit. And then we see, brothers and sisters, that all this is just a continuation of what the church has been doing ever since the Lord instituted the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The church continues in that celebration ever since the exodus from Egypt. And may we obey the Lord's command to celebrate the festival with Jesus Christ, our Passover Lamb, and His Holy Spirit guiding us through His Word in that daily fight against sin so that trusting in the Lord we may travel with Him in fellowship, confident and unafraid. Amen. We'll now sing together a hymn that brings these themes together. Well, it's hymn 30, stanzas 3, 4, and 5. We'll sing this hymn standing if you're able to stand.